get to work. Um, thank you. This is, this is, thank you all for coming. This is overwhelming. Uh, I am so excited. What was on my heart, the biggest thing that was on my heart as I was headed into this night was um, just what God's doing among us, that he loves us as a people. And I am tangled up in love for this people. Um, I'm very honored to be um, associated with each one of you and to be given to <laughs> to you all is an incredible honor and uh, so thank you all for being here I'm going to get right into it this is a church service so uh, let's open the word and we're in the book of Micah and as you know I named my firstborn son Micah and so now my firstborn sermon as a <laughs> pastor is on Micah. Um, so there's your segue. Okay. If you are in LCF or JCF, you know that we are going through the prophets right now uh, as part of our journey through all of Scripture. Let me check the time before we... Okay. Um, and we're going to be alternating between the minor and the, and the major prophets. Next week we're going to get into Isaiah. And tonight we're in Micah, and Micah is a good uh, intro to Isaiah. He's a contemporary of Isaiah, maybe a little younger. Um, covers a lot of the same themes, carries a lot of the same message as Isaiah. And so Micah tonight, this will be a good, a good stepping stone into uh, the incredible work that is Isaiah the incredible piece of not just scripture, but literature, um, prophecy. And uh, it's just an incredible book. So Micah is, is kind of a mini Isaiah. And the name Micah, this is, this is my primary point tonight. The name Micah is a rhetorical question. And that question is, who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? Who is like the Lord? It's a shortened form of Micaiah, I think. Where's, where's Chad? Micaiah. Micaiah. Everybody say that. Micaiah. It means who is like the Lord? Who is like Yahweh? Okay? And Micah carries a word just like we've heard. Uh, the other prophets, it's nothing new. He has the same complaints against the people of God as the prophets that we've already studied. Had. He has the same message of hope that the other prophets carry. So one of the things that we learn from Micah at this stage in our study of the prophets is that there's one message. God is the same. He's always been the same. Micah is made up of three sections, each containing a message of destruction and coming punishment and judgment, followed by a message looking ahead to hope, and to the way that the Lord is going to deal with his people. Um, Micah carries with all the prophets this balance between punishment for the current state of the hearts of, of his people, wandering, idolatrous, immoral, but with a deep knowledge that 
God can redeem and will redeem. That God is faithful and will not abandon His people. That God will finish what He started. That's the message of Micah. God is not pleased with His people. And He will not give up on His people. And both of those messages, in all of the severity and in all of the goodness. So Micah oscillates between those two. Um, And he's not saying anything new about God. Micah says nothing new about God. If we go to Exodus 34... This is where Moses asks to see God. Let me see you. Just show me a little bit of who you are. And the Lord sets up this scenario in which he can reveal himself to a degree to Moses. And in verse 5 it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, which is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I am full of love. And I will by no means clear the guilty. This is the prophetic message. God is full of love, and he will by no means clear the guilty. Further on in Deuteronomy, as Moses is restating the law before the people head into the land. In Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, Moses spells out a very simple equation. That if you follow God, you will be blessed. And if you turn from God, you will be cursed. And the blessing is unbelievable. And the curse is unbelievable. This is the prophetic message. In chapter 31, no, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God and you you and your children and obey his voice in all I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So Micah has no new message to bring to the people of God. It's the same message that the Lord proclaimed in in who he was, that he is good and gracious and steadfast, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And that Moses reiterated, if after all this curse comes upon you, the curse that you deserve, if you turn, he will forgive you. And if you obey him, he will restore you and bring you back after you have been scattered. Okay, this this is Moses. He is a prophet. He is foreseeing the future. He is foreseeing uh, the journey of the people of God. So I want to I point out a few, just a few key passages in Micah that it would be good for you to um, 
No, I think it's always good to have, um, you know, in, in any book of the Bible, I try and have just some touch points. You know, if, if someone says the book of Micah, I know this, this, and this. You know, I can kind of bring it back to, to mind. So I want to I give you a few of those for the book of Micah. If I can get back there. It opens up, and the first, the first oracle of destruction uh, begins in chapter 1. And by the way, each of the three main sections in Isaiah, they begin with this. Here, these three sections are marked off by, here, you peoples. So in, in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, here, you peoples, all of you. If you go down to chapter 2 and verse 12, it turns into a message of hope. Then the second section starts in chapter 3. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob. And then in chapter 4, a prophecy of hope begins. And this is a longer one this time, and it takes up the bulk of the the middle portion of the book. It goes all the way through chapter 5. And then the final section starts in chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. And chapter 6 is a, is a courtroom scene. It's an indictment. It's a lawsuit that the Lord brings to the people of God. And the book ends with a lament and then a final uh, word on God's steadfast love, starting in, in chapter 7, verse 18. So that's how the book is laid out. Here's some key passages that you should know. Chapter 4. This is the beginning of the second message of hope in the book. And this is actually repeated in Isaiah. We'll get to it in Isaiah. And this is a a prophecy of the latter days. And those are the days in which we live. These are the latter days. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and decide for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war any more, but every, they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In the latter days, the house of God, that's, that's us, that is the people of God, will be lifted up, and nations will come and know that the law goes forth from Zion. The law, that we need to go and do what the people of God are doing. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. This is, a, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy right here. You go, house of God. I am with you, I am in you. Go, be lifted up, and all nations will come to you and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Amen? Second takeaway section from Micah 
is in chapter 5, and this is a prophecy. This is one of the prophecies that is repeated in the, in the, book of, in the opening chapters of Matthew of Jesus the Messiah. And this is the prophecy that points to Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus. Okay, this is repeated in, Mike, in Matthew uh, chapter 2. But it starts in uh, verse 2 of chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. I love that. He is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus the Messiah, his coming forth has been from of old. Since ancient days, he's been coming. Isn't that awesome? And this is part of the prophetic message. He's coming. He's always been coming. And and, and the people of God are waiting for him. It's coming from Bethlehem, it says. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Again, we get back to this imagery of the people are scattered. God is setting a man in their midst to gather them and to lead them and to bring them back. In chapter 6, it's another well-known verse. I think there's some songs that are uh, made of this passage, but in, in chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? It's beautiful. But the context here, the context here is this lawsuit. God has said, if you back up to the beginning of chapter 6, hear what the Lord says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. He has an, an indictment against his people. And then he spells out his indictment. And here we see the defense come and say in, in, chap, in verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord? The charges have been laid out. What's, so what should I do? Should I bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? What do you want? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This kind of echoes David when he lost his child of iniquity. And then the answer comes, He has told you, O man. So what's he saying? I don't have a new sermon. (laughs) The penalty is nothing new to you. He has told you already what is good. You know what's good. You don't want to do it. Okay? You don't... If there was something you could bring before the Lord in order to make you right with Him, you'd be able to do that. But He has told you what is good. What does the Lord require? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Which addresses each of those areas that Israel and Judah have fallen. To do justice. Don't extort people. Don't exploit weakness. To love mercy. That is, to have the same love and bearing with that I have with you, have that for one another. And to walk humbly with your God. 
Do not be proud. Submit yourself to God. Receive his law and submit to it. That's all I require. That's all I've ever required. That's all that the law has ever pointed to, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You could say, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What does the Lord require? So Micah here is preaching the gospel in the midst of, uh, of this courtroom scene. And finally, the book ends with uh, this beautiful passage, calls us back to the name of Micah in verse 18 of chapter 7. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. God would rather be loving than be right. That's his heart. God would rather show love than be right. Thank God in Christ he does both. He delights in steadfast love. It pains God to punish his people, right? It pains me to punish my children, but it's right. I delight in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So Micah's message is, Give back to the basics. I don't have a new word. My prophetic word, my new message for now, for right now, the cutting edge, is go do what Moses said. <laughs> go do what Abraham. Live, walk, in, walk in the ways of Abraham. That's all that the Lord has ever wanted. But you have made... Uh, you have made it so much more complicated than it needs to be. In Romans 11, God is talking, or Paul is talking to Gentiles and Jews who are trying to figure out how to coexist. And it's an interesting chapter because Paul is saying, Jews, you need to understand that you didn't get it. And God has raised up for himself a people who are bearing fruit. The kingdom has been taken from you. The vineyard has been taken from the wicked tenants and given to those producing fruit. But he says, Gentiles, don't get a big head about that. You need to understand how faithful God was to his people and how faithful he still is to his people. The lineage of Jesus. And there's this great verse, and this is the verse that was on my heart for, for this evening. In Romans 11. We'll start in, in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, he's talking to the Gentiles, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. That would be Gentiles. Don't be arrogant toward the Jews. 
If you are, remember that it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Right? How much, how much of who we are is built on everything that God laid down in the Old Testament? So much. Right? Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Okay, and this is what we need to hear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided, and the, and the prophets always include the con condition, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So God, my message to you, Micah's message to the people of Israel at that point, my message to you tonight is that God's the same. People of God, note the kindness and the severity of God. So much love, so much forgiveness, so much grief over sin, so much destruction and curse when we turn away. That's the message of Micah. And it really can be all contained in that rhetorical question that is his name. Who is like the Lord? Romans 11 ends this way. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's really saying, Micaiah, who is like the Lord? And there's so many different angles to that. You know, I'm a... I'm, I, see things in a poetic way. So I just kept thinking about who is like the Lord. And you know those English exercises where you can like emphasize a different word in the same phrase and it means a totally different thing? That was just happening with that phrase in my mind as I just kept praying over who is like the Lord? Who is like Yahweh? And this is, this is what I hear. Who is like Yahweh? The gods of the nations? Are they like Yahweh? No. The gods at the high places? Who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh, able to raise up a nation to judge his people and then judge that nation? Who is like Yahweh in the glory of his righteousness, his holiness, his power? Who is as righteous as Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? What man can say that I am like God? I am God-like. Who can love the way he loves? Who can judge the way he judges? Who is like Yahweh? Able to perfectly hate the sinner and be perfectly faithful to his bride. At the same time, who is like Yahweh? And the message of the prophets is that there is none, but he's coming. There is none. All have turned away. But there is a man who is coming. And he is like Yahweh.
He is God in the flesh. And we long for Him. And so we can look back and say that who is like Yahweh? Jesus. Jesus. We have a man. Not only that, we have His Spirit inside of us. The very power, the very righteousness, the very holiness. It's in us. Who is like Yahweh? His people. Because of Jesus. Amen? So that is the, that's the message of Micah. Who is like Yahweh? Micaiah. Let's, uh, let's stand and we can close in worship. Do you have anything else you want to do? Let's end with a song. And let's sing to our God. Because no one's like him. And because he was so faithful that he sent a man. His own arm, as Isaiah says, brought him salvation. Who is like the Lord? Hallelujah.